Welcome to our Wednesday live event known as Innovation and Audio. My name is Lloyd Ford, and I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. Higher ratings are not a mystery. They're a practice. It's what we do. Our music lab prevents music drift. Our morning show fame development coaching puts action and action in the right places to build opportunity for robust ratings growth. Clients like our branded candy specifically because it focuses your images on your local market and separate you sharply from your competitors in a really great way. Ask about our encouragement too. It's one of our services. If you know somebody who is struggling, maybe they're looking for some fresh answers, something innovative for themselves and a new path forward to success. We'd love to help reach out anytime. F-O-R-D at rainmakerpathway.com. This live event is part of a podcast series known as the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast and will be available about an hour or even less after the end of this live event, wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. Today, we are going to visit Wednesday, October 27th, 2021, with Bernie Borges, who's the Vice President of Global Content Marketing at i And he'll be joined on the stage, you can see them already, with uh, Tony Zioli, Zioli, I think I got that right, founder and CEO of NetMix. You're going to find out all about it. Before we get started with our current guest, I would like to give a quick preview of what is coming next week on Innovation and Audio for November the 3rd. That's next Wednesday. Matt Goldberg will be with us. He's the Vice President of Content Strategy at NBCU Owned Television Stations in Los Angeles, California. You can see our full guest list on our guest calendar in our free blog section at rainmakerpathway.com anytime 24-7. You'll also find there free encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series. And for local radio sellers, we have something else. We have something called encouraging sales success, as well as free resources for anyone in radio or audio today. We do not lock away anything on our website like some other consultants do. We do that because we believe in the theory of abundance. Ask me about it sometimes. Go ahead anytime, rainmakerpathway.com. That's where you can see what you can get for free from our team. So let's talk to today's guest right now. My first guest is Bernie Borges, and he is the vice president of global content marketing for i Now, listen, Bernie spends a lot of time talking about digital marketing, content marketing, content strategy, and video animation. Bernie has extensive experience in podcasting in addition to all of the other things that you're going to hear about and is leading his third podcast right now. Listen to their core mission statement at i It is, quote, to empower people with technology, creating happy employees that deliver the world's most sought-after customer experiences, unquote. Bernie, welcome to Innovation and Audio and the Encouragers. How are you, sir? Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, great. Well, listen, I want to start right at the beginning of your story. I want to know, look, what did you so much in marketing at the beginning of your career? So I'm one of those uh, people that actually majored in marketing in college. 
Nice. And that was that was quite a while ago, many decades ago. But I actually completed my marketing degree in the evening, at night, and during the day I was in sales. And so oh, nice. I started yeah, I started my career in sales. So by the time I completed my marketing degree, I had already become addicted to the commission earnings potential in a sales role. <laughs> oh, you knew some and, things. Yeah, and, and I actually liked it. And I was, you know, moderately good at it. So I stayed on a sales path. So I, I spent about the first 10 years of my career in sales, all the while, you know, leveraging the, uh, the knowledge and the insights from my marketing degree. And so if I fast forward about 10 years into my career, I was with a software company in Silicon Valley, Mountain View, California. Mm -hmm. And um, I noticed that a lot of the marketing that was coming out of the marketing team, Lloyd, was very consumer centric. And I looked around and they had a bunch of really super smart MBAs in marketing, but they all came from P&G. And guess what? P&G is, is a consumer company, right? Right. So I, I started voicing my opinions on things that could be done differently, could be improved to help us in the sales team. They liked my ideas, so they actually created a position for me and, and invited me to come in-house and to take on this position called you know Director of Field Marketing. And that was kind of the beginning of my left turn of my career, where I just really got to apply, apply my marketing know-how, if you will, and but through the lens of sales, you know, I had spent 10 years selling, carrying a bag, you know, making quota. And so by the time I got into the marketing role, I was able to apply, you know, what I was able to apply from a marketing skill standpoint. But again, through the lens of how do you help sales sell more? I really right? love that. And about so you. I've. Yeah, I really I really love that you have all of that. I don't want to get too far ahead just yet, but I want to say, look. I heard this really great quote about you uh, uh, recently, a quote, Bernie spoke in a digital marketing class of mine at the University of South Florida about LinkedIn. He was flexible during our unique times of coronavirus. That's a good way to put it. And spoke to about 50 students through a virtual platform. His presentation was engaging, informative, and personalized to the students, unquote. How much of your job has changed because of COVID, and and how do you recommend that we think about change during the current COVID era because it's it's not over, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm happy to uh, respond to that. I'd love to hear from Tony and Skip as well on on the, on the same question. But you know, Lloyd, I, I will say that in in a lot of ways, nothing has changed simply because I've been working from home since 2001. So the whole remote working thing, you know, 20 years for me, okay? Hmm, so in that regard, yeah. nothing, nothing has changed. Uh, you know, a lot of people had to make the adjustment to work from home, but I didn't have to make that adjustment. What's changed mostly is just the way that we interact with people and having more human compassion, not that we shouldn't have had compassion prior to All along, COVID, right? right? But, you know, the compassion meter i think just really shot up several notches and just you know as we interact with people just understanding that a lot of people are going through struggles whether it's the adjustment to working from home or just being personally impacted by COVID, either themselves or a loved one and so just i'd say that the biggest impact for me because i had already been working from home was right. just you know ratcheting up the 
the human compassion meter and the way that I interacted with people, no, no matter who it was, whether it was in, inside the company, outside the company, you know, client, no client, didn't matter, you know, and just spending more time talking to people just about anything they were interested in talking to about, talking about just to make that human connection. That's the biggest change for me. Oh, yeah. I don't know if this is true for everybody else, but you're real clippy. And I, don't, I wonder if you're in the right position uh, for Clubhouse. Uh, you might we just want to keep an eye on that for sure. Listen, okay. uh, your career goes all the way back to Eastman Kodak. I found that pretty fascinating. And you've worked for Software Publishing Corp early in your career. You spent a significant amount of time with the American Marketing Association as a faculty member and then as the VP of Communications for AMA in Tampa. Then you you founded Content Marketing Evangelist, great name, by the way, and works for clients across the United States and Canada. Marketing has shifted and changed quite a lot during this time. What is the secret to riding the waves of change of time and staying out in front of the clients and the customers that you most want to attract and help? Yeah. Okay. You have to keep me uh, apprised of my clippiness on the audio because I'm trying to stay stationary uh, while, I, while I talk. So anyway, um, by the way, my experience at AMA was a great yeah. experience, but all, all that was just sort of on the side, like the VP communication role. That was a volunteer role in locally uh -huh. in the Tampa community. And then the faculty role, that was just sort of a side gig, you know, where they would give me a teaching assignment, you know, three or four times a year. But to come back to your question, Lloyd, um, you know, it really it boils down to, I think, one thing in marketing and in sales. We always have to know who our customer is. And yeah. so you ask the question in the context of marketing, you know, how do you keep up with everything? It's just it's understanding how your customer is changing, what their needs are. And then I would break down needs into two categories what their needs are relative to your offering, and also what their emotional needs are, their human needs are. Because at the end of the day, we're selling to a human being, not to a robot. So we need to understand what is it that our customer needs emotionally, and then what is it, what is it they need from a utility standpoint, meaning you know, in the context of your offering. So if, if, if you're in touch with those things, if you're in touch with knowing your customer, both from a utility standpoint, and their emotional needs, then you've got a, a much better chance of creating the programs, campaigns, strategies, et cetera, to engage with them. And then, of course, you know, embrace the modern technology as it evolves in the modern technology, you know, the, the MarTech mm -hmm. stack, you know, as, as you, you know, as you as you need it in the context of your plan, um, you know, use data as much as possible, all the things you're hearing from modern marketers. But I still I just bring it back to the fundamental baseline of know thy customer oh i love that you you have so many really good rich fundamental sales uh, thoughts here and things that i think about all the time with clients where i'm like look you know more human more empathy more storytelling maybe not so much data i mean there's only so much you can do with data and data is great i'm not against data now listen early in your career you were dealing with Silicon Valley and and have people involved in Silicon Valley, have they changed across time? I think 
almost everybody's interested in this? Or is it kind of similar to what your dealings were in the beginning with them? Because you've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, now I'm pretty I'm pretty removed from Silicon Valley these days, Lloyd. So I can't really speak to you know what the what the pulse is today because I haven't I haven't lived there and lived and worked there in almost well tw- twenty nine years to be exact because I left there twenty nine years ago. I do have family back there, so I still get back there on average about once a year. But that's not the same as living and working there. I would think though. That while, you know, when I was there, Google didn't exist and obviously Facebook and YouTube and, you know, a lot of the companies that we know and love and use today, you know, they weren't there because I was there in the 80s. I was there exactly 82 to 92. Um, But I I will tell you what I remember of it is that the energy level was was off the charts. Just, you know, the energy and it didn't matter if you were an engineer or in sales, marketing, finance, it didn't matter. The energy level in Silicon Valley was just so fantastic and and just so contagious. You know, I just loved everything about it. And I, and I would think that that's still the case. I would think well, that. I would imagine know, that, it's not that, changed. If anything, yeah, it's probably I, gotten amped up, right? Probably so. Probably so. Yeah. So that's what I remember most about it. And that's what oh. I actually, that's what I miss most about it. All right. So let's turn to something that I know you, you probably do know well, which is your time at Power served, you spend a significant amount of time working for them and specifically managing, and I'm going to quote this, all non-product marketing initiatives, which I found that that's pretty interesting. I want to hear about that particularly. Can you talk with us about your time at PowerServe? Well, it was it was back in the 90s, Lloyd. So mm-hmm. you, again, you're taking me back in the time machine. That's but all was, right. It, I it like was, that. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I do too. I do too. Um, it was a good time. It was a good time. Um, that was the only experience in my career, Lloyd, where I was in a leadership role during an IPO. The company mm-hmm. did the IPO in 1996, and uh, I joined the company in, I believe it was 92 or 93. I don't remember the exact year. But, you know, young, I remember I was like employee number 13, and then um, Climbed the ranks quickly, but it was a small company growing fast. I was VP of marketing. That was my first marketing leadership role. And to your question, you know, what I was responsible for when I say non-product is the company's product was ERP software. And ask me how much ERP background I had. The answer is none, zero. (laughs) So I was not qualified to really lead the marketing for the product, but I worked very closely with the people who were, you know, in and around and in, in the product all the time. So I mostly focused on promotion, branding, lead generation, field marketing, which, you know, I had experience right. in that, that sort of thing. You know, we called it back then corporate marketing to be distinguished, distinct, distinguished from, uh, you know, product marketing. So I didn't manage product marketing. It was co- all things around the company, brand, lead generation, et cetera. And it was fun. Like I said, the IPO was a thrilling ride. And uh, just I'll never forget that experience. All right. And I know that this is not a full-time role for you either, but you are on the advisory board for OneMob in San Francisco. Tell us about that a little bit. We're just trying to fill in the background around you a little bit before we ask a few other questions. Sure. So OneMob is a San Francisco-based company, as you said, that uh, has a product that uh, essentially is a video production product, but it's for salespeople. So it allows salespeople to record a video either from their mobile device or from their desktop, 
and then send that video out as a hyperlink, not as a file. And then if I send it to you, for example, uh, I'm gonna know if you watched it, how long you watched it, if you clicked on anything in the video, because it also is accompanied mm. by an actual page that it lives on. And I, I as the, the sender, I control that page. I can control what I put on that page. So I'm going to know what you clicked on again, how long you watched so it, like that a, sort of thing. So it's like a direct marketing pearl, right? Yeah, but it's mostly uh, the use case that the company really is focused on is sales. So big brands like Cisco and Salesforce are, are some marquee users of it. And so um, to your point, I'm on the advisory board. I work with the CEO to just, you know, kind of stay in touch with what they're doing and give them my two cents on, you know, how they can continue to do things well and maybe even a little bit better. That's excellent. I'd love to see so much about customers and especially the customer experience in your career path. And of course you, you put a lot of sales in there too. I, I talk with a lot of innovators and the smartest among them talk about outside in thinking or trying to place yourself in a space where you think customer first and not just customer first, but human first, which we kind of touched on that a little bit already. Are you fascinated with change, with how people navigate change and helping them with technology to communicate the human aspect of brands and customer experiences? Yeah, in the context of customer experience, you know, one of the things that we say at ICOR, and, and ICOR, I don't expect anybody to know who ICOR is because we're we're a back office operation. We're, we're mm -hmm. what's called a business process outsourcing, which means we run call centers, contact centers, 35,000 employees. If, if you've ever called a bank or a healthcare company or a credit card company or your mobile you know, company and you, you're talking to an agent to answer a question or a problem you have, you know, you might be talking to an agent that works for a company like ICOR. So we, we talk about the customer experience in the context of we want to bring smiles to that engagement and we want to create smiles. So again, it comes full circle, Lloyd, back to the human element. You know, so we are very passionate inside of our company at ICOR around creating smiles. We use the word irresistible. We, we think we have an irresistible culture. So we're focused on maintaining that irresistible culture every single day. And then we want that culture to create smiles among our people so that they in, in turn create smiles with the customer that they're engaging. And, and remember, their customer is not our customer. Their customer is our customer's customer, right? Brands right. engage us to engage with their end customers, right? So we just apply this, this mindset, and I use the word very intentionally, this mindset of let's create smiles internally so we can create smiles with every customer that we engage with. Well, let's talk about your role at ICOR, the experience of being the vice president of global content marketing. That's a very ominous title. <laughs> so what is your average day like? Well, um, I've only been at the company a short time, uh, just uh, coming up on six months here. And uh, I really, you know, I hit the ground running primarily because they were a client of mine. Uh, so I had already been working with them for a couple of years. So I knew about their business and I knew many of the players um, in the uh, in the C-suite. So, again, I was able to really hit the ground running because we had conversation for more than a year about the role. So the focus of the role really is to drive content to help 
the iCore brand, uh, market itself, first and foremost, you may be surprised at this. Maybe you won't be. I don't know. First and foremost, to our employees. Okay. Now, let me tell you why. Mm. Let me tell you why. And that is because we are in the people business. I know it's a very trite thing to say, but what I mean is that we have to have people who are on the front line engaging with our customers' customers. So again, we're thirty-five, more than 35,000 people. So we recruit 365 all year long. We are recruiting nonstop, right? And unfortunately, because the industry is you know, um, such that competitors are poaching from each other on a regular basis, you know, there's, there's some attrition. And that's just uh, a nature of the beast. It's just part of the industry. So a lot of the content that we're producing, especially the podcast that you mentioned earlier, Lloyd, the Digitally Irresistible Podcast, is Mm -hmm. really geared at our employees to really enable them to understand all the wonderful talent we have in the company and, and different programs that they're working on and cool things that they're doing that they wouldn't otherwise know or didn't otherwise know. So that's one element of it is marketing to our, our internal employees. The other is just marketing to the marketplace and just really conveying, you know, the, the capabilities that we have, especially across the spectrum of the digital customer experience, because the customer experience has become very digital. All of us are consumers, right? So we all will either email or send a chat or engage with a with a with a chat bot or, you know, maybe access, you know, help within a mobile app. So, you know, we all use digital tools to engage with a brand whenever we have a question or a problem. Uh, and in many cases, we, we prefer that over picking up the phone and calling and speaking to, you know, an agent. So we have to communicate our capabilities and our thought leadership on digital customer experience technologies and trends and best practices and that sort of thing. So that's a big part of uh, our focus as well on creating and deploying our content strategy. So my day is filled with just, you know, constant uh, production, you know, just overseeing production. And then on the podcast, I'm knee deep in it. I'm the host of the podcast. So, you know, I'm the one conducting the the actual podcast interviews, much like you're sure. doing here, Lloyd. So I'm on the other end of this. It's a video podcast as well. So we're, do, we're mm-hmm. actually recording a video interview and then publishing that as well. So very busy. Uh, it's it's exhilarating. I love it. Love every minute of it, and I uh, love talking about it. But you know, want to give you a chance to keep going through your list well, of questions. Well, look, I I love that you're passionate about your product, and I love that you have such a sales background. Let's dial down to sales for a minute, and we talked about the human aspect a little bit. Let's talk about this. In your opinion, what are the keys to to twenty first century selling, and has it changed? So I think it's changed a lot. Uh, I think it's harder okay. to sell now than when I was selling early in my career. Uh, w- that was pre-digital. I mean, um, we're talking, you know, pre-internet when I was selling. Mm-hmm. So I think it's way harder now. And I think the reason that it's a lot harder now is that the, the buyer is in complete control. The buyer has, you know, all all kinds of access to information about just about anything because it's obviously, you know, just one Google away or a few clicks away and they can listen to podcasts and watch videos and just read just about anything. So it's harder for salespeople to engage with the buyer than ever before. And the buyer is going 50, 60, 80, 90% of their journey on their own before they're even willing to, to speak with a seller. So sellers have to be, what I call, and I don't think I coined this phrase, 
I should say, I know I didn't coin this phrase, uh, and it's a concierge of information. I just love the phrase when the first time I heard it. I don't even remember where it were when I heard it, but the point that I'm getting at, Lloyd, is that salespeople need to be able to attract buyers by virtue of the information that they're willing to share and engage with in digital channels. And if you're in B2B, that starts with LinkedIn 99.9% of the time. And then these days, I think Instagram is another good place for B2B sellers to be, to, to be to, to kind of a hybrid of, you know, personal and business as well. But they've got to be digitally savvy and engage with, with prospective buyers through relevant content. And so, I use the word attractive very intentionally, Lloyd. If I'm a salesperson today, I want to be attractive. And I don't mean my appearance. I mean, I want to be attractive because I've got information the buyer wants. That's what I mean. Sounds to me like you must be really good at, at communication. You must have some technical savvy to you and you must be willing to be helpful and you must be looking to be more helpful than ever. Listen, what, what do you think, getting back to content, what do you think is one thing or maybe two things that you see that people miss in having good content or good strategy with their content today? Because you must see uh, people's content, and and I'm sure that you work hard to put your content together in the most understandable way. Yeah, I, I think um, it comes down to the content needs to you use the word helpful. The, the content needs to be helpful, and it needs to be clear that it is either written or produced. If it's not written, it could be a video, it could be audio but produced for a specific buyer at a specific phase in their journey. Now, you know, I don't mean, oh yeah, I don't mean like you state that up front, like, hey, this is for, you know, this yeah, right. CP, you know, or for this phase. I don't mean that. I mean, the, the nature of the content should convey. So, for example, let's take case studies. Case studies have been around forever, right? And they're right. still as useful today as they, they were, you know, pre-internet. They just Absolutely. deliver differently, right? But right. you know, a case study can 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 very definitely be something that is middle or bottom of the funnel for a prospective buyer. And it needs to be super relevant, it needs to be informational, it needs to provide concrete information to that buyer about the specific case study, you know, that, that's being communicated. And, you know, usually uh, around certain industries so that the buyer can relate and say, okay, that's either my industry or an industry that's close to mine, or I can relate to it or whatever. And then the same is true of, you know, more top of the funnel content that's more educational, maybe thought leadership, but substantive. You know, to your question, I think um, a common mistake that I see is, is content that's more fluff than substance. You know, mm -hmm. buyers are savvy. Bu buyers want substance. They don't want to spend two or three paragraphs reading. They're not about, Yeah, about fluff <laughs> before it gets to the substance, right? Right. So right. that's the biggest mistake that I see is that a lot of real estate is is allocated to fluff, you know, and not enough to substance. Mm, interesting. Uh, lessons for the 21st century. Well, listen, we love to talk about mentors on the encouragers. And this is a way for us to learn a little bit about our guest as well. Can you share with us maybe one mentor that you've had and perhaps one way or one example of how he or she changed your professional life or maybe the direction of your profession? 
Yeah, so along along the way, over the decades, I've had several mentors, always in an informal way, you know, never. Sure. I, I don't think I recall a conversation saying, hey, would you be my mentor? <laughs> um, but, you know, you take me back to PowerServe, you know, even though that yes. was a, a while ago. That's and right. The, the CEO of that company um, kind of took me under his wing and uh, just, you know, gave me some very solid advice. And there's one piece of advice he gave me that I um, I, I live maybe a, a pretty close to a daily basis because in the context of what we're doing every day, you know, we're, we're super busy. And, and that is an expression he gave me that goes like this. Incremental progress is better than eventual perfection. Mm-hmm. Nice. What, he wasn't, what he wasn't saying is, hey, you know, just give me 80% and I'm happy with that. It's not what he was saying. What he was saying is to use a football analogy, U.S. football analogy. It's like, hey, if we gain five yards in a play, like that's incremental progress. We don't have to have a thirty-yard, you know, pass every play, right? So incremental right. progress is let's make progress that's that's measurable and moves the ball downfield. To stay with the football analogy, right? So let's right. just you know make that progress because you know what that eventual perfection that you're you know trying to achieve that might take a lot longer and in the meantime we've wasted the opportunity to make incremental progress yeah make incremental progress over and over again we can really make a lot of progress that's right and and what is it that people say what is that slogan that people pass around we underestimate what we can uh produce in the long term and we overestimate what we can do in the short term and that's another version of what you're your informal mentor was sharing, which is like, sometimes it's good. You know, you got four downs in football. You don't have to get it all in one. And if you try to get it all in one, you're going to end up in trouble. So let's talk about uh, how important is the visual and specific, because I mean, here you are talking to us about this podcast that you have. That's that's it's video. How important is the visual visual and specifically how important you say video is in all of our futures, like where's the visual going? Well, Lloyd, if you don't mind, I'm going to answer your question in, in, in a slightly different way. And, and, and here's, here's what, what I mean by that. So I mentioned that our podcast is a video podcast and maybe I mischaracterized it. it, it we record a video. I, I do a video interview with my guest, but mm-hmm. we take, we take an omni-channel approach. And so what I mean is that it, it is absolutely an audio podcast available wherever you get your po- your audio podcasts and you can listen to the podcast. Right. And then we also write a detailed blog post on it. So whether you like to read or like to listen to audio or watch a video, you can consume that podcast content. Right. So so I do think video is an important element. You know, I think we've seen a lot enough data to know that, you know, people do like consuming video. So I, I don't think we need to be convinced of that. But the reason I said I'm going to answer your question in a different, different way is that we've chosen to take the omni-channel approach and just make all three available, the video, the audio only, and a blog post for the narrative. I think that can be good for a, a variety of different reasons. So good for you. Thank you, Bernie, for joining us on Innovation and Audio. I hope you'll stick around in case our our uh 
listeners have questions for you after our second interview. If you haven't subscribed to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast, you're already missing out on great content every single week. We already have a growing archive of shows for you that you won't believe. And of course, uh, you won't believe what you'll hear that will improve the value of your career. While you are listening to this live event, make sure you have joined the Encouragers here on the Clubhouse app and share what we're doing with friends who are into radio, audio, and innovation. Follow the people on stage tonight, look around the room, and connect with others. A big part of encouraging you and your audio career is helping you engage in networking. Find out what our guests are doing every single week by uh listening to them talk about hacks to make your career better and certainly more innovative by subscribing to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast. You can meet our guests live on Clubhouse, of course, or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a thing. We actually have two podcasts, the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast and the Encouragers The Radio Rally Podcast are both on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Skip Dillard is with WBLS and Hot 97 in New York. He and I came up with the idea of innovation and audio. Skip started us down this specific path, this specific lane, because we really got into talking about, you know, how people usually talked about the usual suspects when it comes to innovation. We didn't really want to do that. So we chose a different path. That's what this live broadcast is. Skip always brings a guest himself. Skip. Who do you have for us this week on innovation and audio? All right. Thank you, Lloyd, and and really enjoyed uh, the comments from Bernie tonight. Look forward to uh, our question and answer afterwards. Uh, Tony Zioli, and and happy to have Tony. Tony, I had a chance to talk with when he was uh, going over uh, one of his newest uh, platforms that he's launched uh, for his own company. And and just wanted to uh, welcome him to the stage. Tony, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Skip. I'm doing great, and uh, I really appreciate uh, you inviting me to the stage, you and, and Lloyd, and it's fantastic to be here. I'm, I'm a big fan of the show. I've been following it for weeks, and now I'm on it, and I love it. <laughs> well, really, really appreciate that. Tell us a little bit about your, your background in, in media and uh, definitely about your company that you founded, NetMix. Okay. Well, my background really spans... <clears throat> um, Three, three, almost four decades, so I can't really give you the full on, but I'll try to dip into a couple of things that I did and just frame it in the sense that I never thought when I was growing up that I would become an innovator in anything. I was really an observer, someone who, when I was a teen, I was watching everyone else. I was wondering, you know, looking and, and, and trying to figure things out uh, on my own, uh, in some, in some respects. And, uh, early on in high school, I actually, my high school was pretty innovative for a Catholic school in Cambridge, Massachusetts. They had a, um, an internship program. And one day I was in Porter Square, Cambridge, standing there. And I ran into this, uh, DJ from an AM station that competed with WILD in the market. At the time it was called WCAS. And he was a DJ on the station. He was just waiting at the bus stop. And I said to him, hey, you know, what do you do? And he was like, oh, I'm a DJ right in this building behind me. And all of a sudden he said, invited me up. I said, I'd love to intern. And he said, sure, come on up. And, and I became an intern for the station for a year, even 
you know, through the latter part of high school when they had an internship program, which got gave credit, <clears throat> and then, and then, uh, you know, I just stayed on through the summer and through the fall, and I just loved radio. And I grew up around, you know, in Boston, around Kiss 108, so Jerry McKenna, Tad Bonvey, uh, Sonny Joe White was a program director at Kiss at the time, and David Corey. And I had some opportunities to do mix shows on Kiss because I was a local DJ in the Boston area. And, uh, you know, belonged to the Boston Record Pool, that sort of thing. And so I grew my career as a DJ, local DJ, uh, just playing records, started getting into the nightclubs, became a Billboard dance charting reporter, uh, went to work for a, re a local record label, which became a remix service and management company, which then uh, kind of gave birth to the careers of an Armand Van Helden, who's a very famous electronic music, uh, house music producer, DJ, and a few others. And I did sales distribution there, A&R operations, uh, booked all Armand's remixes uh, from major labels and started really getting into the music industry. So that's when I went to the New Music Seminar in New York City in the early 90s. And I really wanted to be in that, really wanted to be in music. But I, I wanted to be in radio. And so after high school, I took a year off, went to school in Yonkers, New York for radio and television broadcasting. That didn't work out. I had some problems there. Went back to Boston with my tail between my legs. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, just did the DJ thing, right? Worked for the label. And then in the early 90s, Boston started shifting in its culture in the nightclubs where it started catering to more of the international crowd, the money crowd from Europe, from Saudi Arabia, you know, Middle East, Greece, Brazil. And they wanted DJs that had that, that could speak Greek or were Middle Eastern. And I started kind of losing gigs because I was DJ Tony Z, right? And so at the time, my dad had given me, you know, I, I didn't fit the, the profile of, you know, Mano, DJ Manolo or DJ Rocco or whatever, right? And so I, uh, my dad had given me a computer at the time and I got on to AOL, you know, when it was in beta and I had been a, a guy from Harvard University's IT department. I went over to his house. He showed me the internet. I really wanted to figure it out. And that's when I started saying, Oh, what's, what's going on here? Where's the music? And so, uh, in the, around 1993, 94, that spawned the idea for netmix.com which would become the world's first uh, mix show website uh, featuring the world's most influential DJs, which I started, you know, beginning to put on uh, online, like Paul Oakenfold and Louis Vega, uh, some of the you know, biggest names in dance music. And it was the first site in the world to do this. It was the mixed cloud of its day. And so I decided to move that to New York City, uh, moved it into a promoter's office in Soho, and then went through the whole, you know, dot-com 1.0 uh, you know, growth, uh, hyper growth, watch companies like Sudo and Box grow. And I was right there in Soho for all of that. And then we were acquired in 2000 by another company, like an aggregator of youth culture companies. And that ended up being June 1st, 2000, which was really where the dot-com uh, implosion happened. And then by October, they had shut down. I got the name back. And so then I went to work for in streaming media, uh, for a couple of different companies. I actually worked Rocky Bucano, who you had on a guest as a guest last week. He was my boss yeah. uh, at Metro TV, went to work at Metro TV with Rocky. And uh, if he's speaking about mentors, he's one of my mentors. So we'll talk about that later. 
And then, you know, I, I worked with Metro TV for a while, then 9-11 happened. Cablevision had a lot of layoffs. So I was off on my own again, went to work in stream, streaming media for some big banks, uh, the Associated Press. But then I got back into the startup universe with a company called Star Style, where I became VP of music and created a platform for fans to buy what they see in music videos. And we secured 80 plus music videos from UMG and a couple other uh, major independents and, you know, worked on that platform for about two years. And then, you know, they raised some money, but then they end up, you know, going out of business for whatever strange reason. And then I just, you know, went to work for the CEO of that company, innovating for some other things that he was doing. And then I just became, became this consultant and started consulting for, you know, him and other folks, uh, building websites, web applications. So just to kind of circle back around, like I didn't know I was going to become this inno innovator. And all of a sudden I just kind of fell into innovating all the time for all kinds of people that needed someone to come in and help them build, you know, products and processes. And so the latter part, you know, of my career in the last 10 or so years, I've had Digital Strategy Works, which was a WordPress web development agency that I founded in 2009. But then I stopped along the way at UNC Chapel Hill for a role there and for another role at Market America in Greensboro, building a music platform for that company. And so recently, you know, within the last two years, I said, what am I going to do with Netmix? I've had it for 20 years, sitting around, collecting dust. <laughs> and uh, I was doing a mix show at a local LPFM, and I saw that she was using uh, WordPress, and I logged in to help her with their website and all that, and I saw this plugin called Radio Station, and I thought, oh, that's neat. What's that do? And I noticed that it hadn't been updated in a while, and it was kind of breaking things. So I contacted the developer of the plugin, and she told me that she had gotten a job in 2015, so she hadn't updated it. She hadn't updated it in five years. So it was like two, four, four or five years. 2019, she said, do you want to take it over? So without a plan, because of the product experience that I've had, I said, sure, why not? <laughs> let's, let's do this, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I said, you know, no plan. Uh, and, you know, but knowing that, look at this incredible tool that's sitting there that nobody is doing anything with. And there were stations that are using it all over the world. They, have a, they had a thousand mm -hmm. active installs at the time. And then I said, you know, there's got to be something here. What's here? And I started thinking about it, you know, obsessing on it, you know, bringing it to fruition and got a developer in Australia who I work with. And he came on board. We started a new company. And now, you know, we've launched Radio Station Pro uh, two months ago, which is the pro upgrade version of our free, you know, open source Netmix. So that's really been my career in a nutshell. That's great, man. So tell it takes us under the hood of, of Radio Station and Radio Station Pro, what what makes it unique and how is it a great productivity tool for, for radio stations? Well, one thing I've been noticing in all my research, and I go back to what Bernie was saying about selling, because right now I'm working on building lists and finding radio stations that will want to use this product. And I'm noticing that there are a lot of community stations, a lot of LPFMs that just not, they just, they're just not producing content. And like Bernie said, and like you guys are doing, and like I'm doing myself, it's, that's what you have to do today is produce content. So radio station connects into WordPress 
uh, the very popular open source content management system. And it plugs in just like, uh, you know, a form builder or, uh, you know, a social media tool or something. You just download it as a plugin, you install it, and it opens up new opportunities in WordPress to publish uh, new content and gives you a visual schedule editor that helps you create your show schedule, uh, some show overrides, denote uh, repeats, these sorts of things. And then it spawns show pages with you know, show description, images, avatars, phone number, social media icons, show times uh, that are pulled from the calendar that you're you know, playing with in your visual schedule editor. Uh, and then it also spawns, and that's like the free version. The pro version spawns episodes, it spawns host and producer pages, uh, it spawns an audio player, uh, audio player bar that stays persistent. So if you're like on Spotify where you're always navigating, but the player's still there. A lot of radio stations still have this player when you refresh the page to go to another, or click to go to another page, the player stops. So stations really want this persistent player experience. So that's what we have in our pro upgrade. And then there's some, there's a user time zone uh, switcher, so you can see uh, the station time zone, and you can see all the all the show times in your time zone. Or if you want to switch the time zone, say you're going to travel and you want to see show times in another time zone, you can switch the time zone if you're the user. And then there's different layouts for the master calendar that can be embedded on the main page. And the reason that I thought this was so incredible, this plugin, is because it's embedded into WordPress. It's like it's like you're going into the body and you're operating inside the body that they need to populate with content. And that, that presents a whole host of opportunities for metadata, for software as a service applications, for APIs, uh, to be in the, in the heart, the belly of the beast, so to speak. And so where some of our competitors are outside of that, you know, using embeds and iframes. I thought it was so neat and so so neat and so unique to be inside WordPress, to be plugged in and getting that data and then pushing it out through an API, maybe to a mobile app. Uh, we're talking to a mobile app company who are going to develop mobile apps for our stations. And so, if you're creating a show schedule in WordPress, you can push a button and push where it'll just auto sync right to your mobile app or to some other application. And then we'll have, you know, that's a push API. We'll have a pull API and we're talking to some playout systems right now. If you're creating your schedule in a playout system, instead of uh, having to duplicate your work, it's a read once, uh, I mean, it's a write once, read everywhere world, right? So if you're in a Zuricast or LibreTime or Station Playlist or any number of, uh, you know, these um, station automation systems, you should be able to create your schedule there and push it to your website instead of having to do things twice. And I'm seeing in my research so many people having that challenge of how do I, why do I have to do this twice? So I think Radio Station presents an opportunity to make that much easier in so many ways and connect that data in so many ways to, to push it out, to pull it in, to work with it, to aggregate it, to generate reports, and to you know offer up those reports in some sophisticated manner to the industry or whatever have you. Well, then, really, really great stuff. And WordPress is, 
kind of a platform that we all take for granted and, and yet all of us uh, more or less come in contact with it somewhere probably several times a day. Refresh Absolutely. our on, on WordPress and, and your thoughts on the growth of, of that phenomena of, of technology. Well, it's interesting because we all choose something in life that we want to gravitate towards early. I think you chose, you know, you've been in radio for many years. You chose that. You're an expert in it. Uh, baseball players choose to play baseball, right? We all choose something. And in 2003, WordPress came along when Matt Mullenweg and Mike, Mike Little, the founders of uh, the first, you know, the WordPress as it is today and the first iteration back then, saw another blogging platform called Cafe B, B2 Log or something like that. And they adopted that, forked it, and made it into WordPress in 2003. And I've been involved in WordPress since then, and I've seen it grow exponentially to today powering 42% of all websites on the internet and 60% of all content management systems worldwide, which blows away all the competition from Squarespace to Wix to new platforms that are coming up. And even Drupal had 9% market share. They're down to 2% now. Um, so WordPress has become by far and away the leader. And I chose that platform to engage in when I was working at the Associated Press in 2003, 2004, and I stayed with it. And I think the unique aspect of it is because they allowed people like myself to monetize. Drupal didn't do that. They didn't let developers create plugins and themes which could be sold. It always stayed kind of this true open source platform. How Drupalers make money is in services, like I'll install it for you, I'll build you a website, but never the, I'll sell you a plugin or theme. Uh, and then we're moving into block, a block-based world now, or blocks. So where we all have done WordPress services, build websites for people, build radio station websites or whatever, WordPress mon helped us monetize. And that is what made the difference. And so it's like, you know, buying a Honda. You could get, you could go to any auto parts store in the world and get Honda auto parts. Just like you could go to any web developer in the United States or around the world and they're doing, they're doing something with WordPress. So it's become that ingrained in our, uh, in our workflow, in our daily workflow. And a lot of radio stations are on WordPress because it became the platform of choice. Yeah, some are starting to dabble in Squarespace here or there, but you're seeing, at least I'm seeing, over 90% are on WordPress in my research. Yeah, no, I definitely would agree. It's something that's a you know, big part of our digital strategy every day. And, um, you know, we, we um, you know, you, with, with all you're working on now, what do you, what do you see for your company NetMix uh, in the future? What are some services and tools you, you'd like to, to uh, apply and adapt radio down the road? Well, the first um, Encourager show that I, I heard uh, was with Jimmy Steele. That was when I popped in and, and, and I was just smitten with Jimmy. <laughs> I loved Great what he guy. had to say. I even, Great I even guy. contacted him after when we talked about, I walked him through the project and the whole thing. But what he said was radio needs to focus on an on-demand future. 
And I truly believe in all the things that we do is becoming on demand. So the first step that we've taken to become on demand is, you know, you create a show, now you have episodes. And on episodes, you should have an audio file for on-demand listening, right? Whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, fully interactive if you're a news site or it's only, you know, playback only and you can't interact with the stream if it's a music site because of licensing issues or whatever, right? But I truly believe that in an Alexa and Siri and Google Assistant world that we're going to come to a point where people are asking for segments that they heard at radio. I heard Tony Zioli talking to Skip Dillard, you know, on the Encouragers podcast at, you know, 7.30 on Monday, October, you know, 27th and well, Wednesday, October 27th. And, you know, I want that episode or that segment, not even the episode, but the segment. And I, I've heard today, I read today about some technology that uh, someone's providing to do Alexa skills. And I really see ourselves working that angle, episodes to segments. And then kind of like Mixcloud, the producer will come in and they'll tag their episodes down by segment. And then those segments will uniquely be searchable in voice activated or text search. And I really believe that people will want that level of depth in a search and they'll ask for those things right now we can ask to play the station but we can't ask to play something that i heard on the station you know an interview or a segment a morning show or whatever and i think that's the holy grail i think that's where where it's coming so that's one thing um i see it, it, you know happening uh is getting down to segments um you know, and then there's the playout systems. Uh, for us, it's really trying to marry station playout systems with WordPress and then aggregate data. And and that data will become very important. Uh, and then also for us, I think, moving from just a plugin to maybe a software as a service application. So those are really kind of uh, my three big focus areas over the next six months is to think about those things and find ways to you know, execute on them. That's great. Tony, you know, we've just had so much change in the last uh, 19 months or so, and would love to get your observations of radio and, and where should it be as we, you know, do our best to get out of this pandemic. What should radio be doing now? What can it do better? You know, I was thinking about this and earlier, earlier today, and you and I can probably agree because you've been at radio for many years is that radio stations are media companies, but they've really only focused on the audio component. Right. And now, and they, they relied on aggregators of everything, the tune-ins of the world, the ticket masters of the world to do these things for them. But I really truly believe that if you're a local radio station, if you have e-commerce and you can sell tickets on your own and you can do things in your own website that creates stickiness and audience engagement, uh, that you're going to end up building an audience just like television networks do, just like media, other media companies do. It's really shifting of the mindset. And I, I know there are people like Jimmy, like yourself, like Lloyd, that are thinking about these things, but it's gonna take a little more effort at local, you know, for people to see that I can do e-commerce, I can do something else. You know, the LPFM here, it's interesting, um, uh, WPVM, 
103.7, she actually built a radio station museum in her radio station. So now she's marketing that to tourists, Mm -hmm. right, to come through to see old-time radio. Like, what can we do, you know, and we go back to, you know, when I was working at Metro TV and and we had uh, the Daily Beat, which was a competitor to Fuse, uh, uh, I'm sorry, to MTV's um, 5 o'clock show, the TRL, right? So, you know, they started building these outdoor studios, you know, in Good Morning America, they all have these outdoor studios, right? These interact with the audience, go outside. And so I think there's, there's something to be said for that. You know, how can we stop being in these buildings and how can we be, be outside? How can we be interacting with audiences? And I know radio does that at, you know, big concerts and stuff like that, but just more of it, more, more in the crowd, in the moment kind of stuff. Um, I remember seeing the WBZ truck, you know, in Boston coming, you know, radio truck coming to different events. So, you know, it's like I said, though, I, I think it's I think e-commerce doing it, on, doing it on your platform, selling things, NFTs, um, you know, people are talking about NFTs now. How can radio leverage NFTs to generate revenue? And then there's paywalls, right? If news is doing paywalls and they're starting to succeed at it what makes it that radio can't do paywalls or can't test it? And so WordPress and Automatic, the company that runs the for-profit arm of, of WordPress, of the open source, uh, which is the open source nonprofit, they partnered with Google to develop Newspack for news organizations to subscribe to. So they would build out uh, a platform with all these digital tools and monetization engine for newspapers. And so they're running that now. And I'm thinking about, well, how can I take radio station and work with automatic or Google or someone or iHeart and find out how to do that with local radio, you know, with LPFMs and, and help them along the way. So I think those are the kind of things that we should be looking at. That's great stuff, man. And, and Tony, listen, um, you know, how can people contact you? What's your website? How can they find out about your services? Well, they could go to radiostation.pro, which I'm amazed that I actually got that domain name. Yeah, really? Wow. <laughs> and it was, it was available, radiostation.pro. And, uh, and only, I only got it like six months ago. That's and then true. they can do that. They can send me, uh, you know, through the form or Tony Zioli. You know, you can get me on Clubhouse. All my info is here in my Clubhouse bio. Everything that you need to know about me is there. My Insta, my Twitter you know, my companies, uh, or just Tony Zioli at netmix.com. And so, yeah, I'm leveraging netmix now. So whenever you use, if you're a subscriber to radio station pro, then you can then get your station listed in our radio station directory on netmix.com. So that's how I brought that back 20 years later to kind of merge the two. Wow. And that gives like a high quality SEO backlink. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to compete with TuneIn or anything, but it's like, <laughs> what can, let me give you a value add. What are the value adds? And I'm partnering with some music promotion companies, and we're going to start a promotion service to our sub- subscribers to get the music and other kinds of content as well. Uh, wow, that's great. Uh, Tony, listen, man, appreciate your time today. Appreciate the work you're doing. And, geez, man, some, some great food for thought and some great thoughts here and, and great technology. Lloyd, back to you. Tony, stick around with us for a couple of minutes in case anybody has any questions, man. Thank you so much. Okay, so so my first my first observation is I'm so grateful for the mute button because I wanted to talk during that whole interview. 
<laughs> so thank you, Skip and Tony, for a really fascinating time. I hope you, if, if you were listening to this, you, you picked up on how smartly both of our guests tonight have a fundamental understanding of how critical creating vibrant uh, incredible content is now and it will be in the future too and how to do it tony especially talked about what i call the control issue that's what i call it radio is hearing a lot about this right now but as tony suggested we're really in the slow lane in the radio business we are not allowing listeners to really control what they want uh, they they don't feel in control and they don't like it. And earlier, Bernie talked about experiences and how important that is for customers. Why shouldn't our listeners want to control? They have these smartphones. They have these apps that do so many different things for them. I mean, we are in the 21st century, the innovation century, radio, and everyone needs to lean into innovation and think customers first. Those things go together. They don't go apart. You will fail without both of them. On uh, a side note, I do want to say to Tony, we need to talk about several things in what I call the merge lanes, and I will get in touch with you soon, or you should get in touch with me for sure. When you show up on one of our live events, we do ask that you like our group, the encouragers, and share us with others you know that love innovation or audio. Don't forget to follow the people on the stage and look around in this event, people in the room. Uh, we're big believers in connection and mentoring and networking on the encouragers. Thank you for being a part of this and participating in our live events and telling others. We are going to open up the room in case you might have a question for one of our guests or somebody on our panel. Just push the button at the bottom of your iPhone or Android device that allows you to raise your hand. It's got a little hand down there. You can see it. And of course, we'll bring you right up to the stage. We do ask that you mute your microphone until you are called on. By the way, when you join the encouragers, we have people who come only to listen. We're okay with that. Our goal is to provide you with interesting content and advice, career hacks to move your career forward and encourage you. But we don't mind sharing the stage with you if you are so inclined as well. So we do like to extend an offer at least uh, each Wednesday, and we don't want you to feel pressured that you have to talk on this live event. This is a safe space for everyone. Don't forget, Monday, you can join us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the radio rally on Clubhouse right here on the Encouragers. Monday's November the 1st, and we have Hawkeye, who's the famous Hawkeye. It's been on in the mornings in Dallas for 30 years at New Country 96.3 KSCS in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. He'll be joined by Nick. Nikki Thomas, who's the program director of WXBQ in Johnson City, Kingsport, Bristol. And they're going to talk about how to navigate radio in the 21st century. Tell your friends in innovation, audio, and specifically radio, how they can get free resources at RainmakerPathway.com and our free blog section. We've always got something for you there. And there's a lot of different uh, resources for you, including... Uh, hacks, but also including resources of other kinds. Now, I do have a question for Bernie. And Bernie, I, I, you talk so much about sales. I want to know what is your favorite thing? I know this is an open-ended question, but I know you're the kind of guy that can handle it. What's your favorite thing about sales You know, today? I know that that may not be a direct role for you, but you're still a sales guy. Yeah, yeah. I would say uh, that's a great question, Lloyd. I would say it's it's problem solving, just helping nice. people solve a problem. 
And to me, there's a there's a double um, double benefit to it. One is you're helping someone actually, you know, accomplish something. So it's good for typically their business. And by the way, I'm always thinking B two B. So I apologize if right. everybody's thinking no, I get right. that. Yeah, um, yeah. So you so you're helping you know somebody solve a business problem, but you're also helping that person, and, and it means something to that person. It may be something that's a feather in their cap in their career. It may be something, if it's their business, that you're really helping them improve their business in some way, which is good for them and their family. So just the whole helping factor is just so gratifying. I love that. I love that, too. And I I, I always hope that people keep that as a part of what they're actually accomplishing in sales, because making somebody else look like a hero is a great side benefit to being in that job. Tony, i got a question for you, too. You know, you were really fascinating tonight. I wasn't expecting you to be so fascinating, especially your knowledge of WordPress, your your background in that field, and and how you marry that up with radio so well. Is being an entrepreneur really your favorite thing? I just want to know that. (laughs) I'm the reluctant entrepreneur. (laughs) Are you really? Is that true? It is because I always, I didn't, I grew up, in Boston, in the streets of Boston. I, I, I'll be honest. I grew up in a ho- in a housing development in mm-hmm. Alton, Massachusetts, and I went to Boston public schools during four Boston. I didn't go to college early. I didn't go on that path that everybody, right. you know, parents would go to college. And, you know, my mother used to say, ah, oh, you should get a real job when I was a DJ, right? <laughs> and right. I go work at a bank. And I hope, it, it kind of stuck in me that that that's something that we shouldn't say to our children, right? Like, you know, and so, but it makes you think that you need to be on that path, that you need to be working for someone. And so, but I came from a place and a time that, you know, and with my innovation skills and my big mouth, you know, that have kind of, uh, you know, maybe got me in trouble here or there. Um, And I've never, you know, I've always done great things for, for people that have hired me, but those things haven't, haven't lasted a long time. I haven't had a job for like 20 years. It's two years, you know, a year, two, three. All right, so I'm going to write you down right. as an accidental serial entrepreneur. Accidental serial entrepreneur, <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, I like that, I like that. But product management in that sense, product management innovation has come out of all that, and it's amazing. Right. But I do just want to say this when you invite invited me to speak to you offline is I live in Asheville yes. and you're in Knoxville. Oh my and, god, you're close. And, yeah, you're giving me a reason to I bring my son to to Knoxville all the time and we go to the ice cream stores downtown, especially that one oh, with the ice wow. cream bar there. So I have to come out <laughs> to Knoxville cuz I'm not that far. Uh, and I, I have talking about. And I have to give him a shout out my 6-year-old Hudson. So before I before we get off the air, I have to say hi to him. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. He was thinking about you right now while we're talking about this. That's great. Listen, we do try to keep things to about an hour. Our thanks to Tony and Bernie for being our patient and giving guests. This this is exactly what we want. People who talk to us about their influence, talk to us about their expertise, talk to us about the way that they see the world. A special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast, which will be available, I want to say in the next hour or so, but he's so fast. 
And of course, I want to thank JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. Please do share our podcast. We have two of them, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast and the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast uh, with others that you know that are interested in growing their careers in audio. Both podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Now, please remember this. Be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of Innovation and Audio with the Encouragers, and good night.